being the greatest country in the world is not a short-term proposition, folks. We can save this great nation, but it's going to take all of us. Why? Because we are America. Herman Cain. Herman Cain. Solutions for a better America. This is your host, Herman Cain. Thank you for joining us because we're going to tell you the truth. We're going to give you the facts. We want you to be better informed and inspired to help make this a better America. Breaking news, breaking news every day with Herman Cain and the most connected man in Washington, Jamie Dupree. Hello, Jamie. Welcome. Hey, Herman. How you doing today, buddy? Magnificent. Now, do we officially have a new head of the Joint Chiefs? Uh, we have someone who has been nominated to take over, and that is General Joseph Dunford, uh, okay. who's a Marine uh, general, uh, very well known, very well respected, and has been up here uh, before the Senate Armed Services Committee. He is the current commander, the commandant of the Marine Corps, so certainly has been around, knows a lot about the uh, the U.S. efforts in Afghanistan and more, and well respected. I thought very interesting his testimony this morning, while otherwise somewhat of a sleepy, uh, you know, typical nomination hearing, Herman, where yes. you might get, uh, you might need a double shot of coffee to stay awake or something like that. But when asked, you know, what is the number one national security threat to the United States right now. General Dunford said uh, it's Russia. And quoting here, he said, their behavior is nothing short of alarming. And, you know, I, I do think that there are a number of people who would agree with that, because uh, amid the worries about Ukraine, about Crimea, which everybody has pretty much uh, forgotten about at this point in time, and just the wonder of what Vladimir Putin would uh, could do next if he wanted to. And the fact that even though we you know, NATO talks a good game about maybe stopping the Russians. If they really wanted to, they could run over the Baltics, Ukraine, and an awful lot more before we could even lift a finger and whether or not we would want to lift a finger. Right. So uh, General Dunford today, uh, uh, before the Senate Armed Services Committee, he'll be confirmed, I would assume, in, in next week or so, uh, uh, later this month at some point in time, and he'll take over soon as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. So you'll see a lot more of him in high-profile hearings and news conferences and more. I saw a news trailer on one of my monitors where President Obama says that the possibility of an Iran deal is less than 50-50. Have you heard that? Supposedly that's uh, the message he gave to Senate Democrats that he had over at the White House last night. Now, again, trying to read the tea leaves of what's been you know, told to us by in public by the Obama administration. It just doesn't seem like we're on the verge of something. I mean, I don't think they're on the verge of throwing their hands up and giving up or anything like that. But... Are they going to get it done today or tomorrow? I don't know. This still doesn't. This still doesn't seem to be that momentum. I mean, maybe it just all comes together. But from indications and news reports from those in Vienna where the talks are going on, there's still a number of things that are unresolved. And they're also trying to downplay the deadline, which also says that, like you said, they are not looking to get something now. They want to say, "Oh well, this may go on a while, etc." But well, their, the, their deadline's been pretty malleable, right? Hasn't it? Yeah, right. How about mushy? Yeah, you know? and and so uh, if they get it done by today, then there is a 30-day review period in the Congress for the deal. If they get it done tomorrow then that doubles to 60 days. And so, I mean, I guess theoretically they could get it done in the next six, eight hours or so and beat that deadline. But I don't know. I just don't sense it here in the halls of the Congress that everybody is on pins and needles waiting to see something get rolled in in a few hours' time. Uh, sanctuary cities 
uh, in Congress? Are they looking to do something? Uh, there are there are plans that have been floated by some Republican lawmakers that would, uh, for example, a guy named Lou Barletta that I interviewed yesterday from uh, Pennsylvania, who would say that, okay, if you're not going to cooperate with the feds on illegal immigrants and returning them and you know to the feds, then you, the city, or you, the county, or you, the state, will lose federal dollars, all federal dollars. Now, you know, I, I could en- envision some people voting for that. I'm not sure that that gets uh, approved in the House or the Senate, but I do believe that there, and look, this shooting out in San Francisco has angered a lot of people, and it's not that uh, a lot of Republicans are just uh, paying attention to this. There's been a lot of talk in the last few years from the GOP in the whole context of complaining about what they think is lax enforcement by the Obama administration, the whole issue of criminal aliens being released who then go out to commit more crimes, sometimes more serious crimes. This is the latest one to bring it up in the issue of the sanctuary cities. We'll see whether or not it gets to the House floor anytime soon. Well, why can't... Why can't the laws just be enforced? How can a municipality pass laws that makes the cities sanctuary cities that goes against federal law, Jamie? This is what I'm having a tough time. Well, I guess I would, I would say that we've seen this before. For example, the Fugitive Slave Act of the of before the Civil War was a federal law that was passed that allowed for if you captured runaway slaves, you were supposed to return them to their owner, correct? The states of the North decided they didn't want to pay attention to that, and so they refused to enforce it. So, you know, I'm not equating the two, but what I'm saying is we've certainly had examples in the past where laws are approved and on the books for the federal government, and local cities and towns and counties don't always hew to those laws. Um, we have a couple small little, uh, uh, what we would call more liberal enclaves outside of D.C. that in the 70s and 80s uh, fashionably approved resolutions that made them nuclear-free zones. You know, not that we we're going to have a nuclear weapon in their town boundaries or anything like that. So, uh, in that sense, you can argue that, yes, it would seem like the state should always have to follow what the federal government does. Then again, uh, we, I'm sure we can come up with a number of examples through the years where cities and counties and states did not always follow what the federal government wanted to do on a certain issue. Okay. I think that that is a valid comparison in terms of if a state just decides that they're going to ignore it and the federal government doesn't enforce it, well, that's a different issue, and I think that's what we're dealing with. Yeah, I mean, look, we do have obviously a disconnect here in terms of the communication between the local police and the feds. I mean, for example, the feds say, well, we'll tell the, you know, the city that, hey, um, you know, here's this little detainer, as they call it. Can you hold on to this guy until we come get him? Well, a lot of local police say, you know what, you got to give us a warrant. You can't just say you want somebody. you got to tell us why you want them. And the feds don't want to have to do that because it is a lot more work, etc. So, you know, there, it's, it's not all black and white here. There are some uh, areas that are not what we would consider sanctuary cities who also don't really cooperate that much with the feds when it comes to handing over people who are here in the U.S. illegally. John Kasich 
is running ads in New Hampshire. Why? Well, his his uh, <laughs> his super PAC that's behind him and running oh, the ads, oh, not okay, him. Yeah. Okay. The governor of Ohio is going to announce uh, what the twenty first. So uh, coming up in just over about ten days or so, he's uh, going to announce, or I get a little under two weeks. He's going to announce in uh, Columbus on the twenty first that he's getting into the race. I mean, that's all signals going that way. And why would he? Why would his group be running one minute ads introducing him? I mean, they're basically introductory ads for the voters in New Hampshire. Right. Well, you could say, well, he's trying to bump up his poll numbers, maybe get into the debates. Yeah. Uh, if he can get some attention, and if you blanket a state enough, you can get people interested in you. Uh, he was down in South Carolina yesterday. I think Kasich is in two events in Tennessee, if I saw correctly, today. So he's certainly making the rounds and looking like a candidate. When I saw him earlier this week here in D.C., he certainly acted like that as well and made it very clear, frankly, I thought from sort of reading between the lines, that he uh, sees his emphasis more in New Hampshire rather than Iowa at the beginning of this race. One thing I will say, I think after watching you know, the continuing saga of the fight involving Donald Trump and Republicans, I really still uh, believe even more as I... Uh, go through today, that the longer Donald Trump stays up as a big person in this race, the harder it's going to be for anybody outside, say, Scott Walker, Jeb Bush, and Marco Rubio to get in to the top tier. I really think that Trump holds back Ted Cruz, and he holds back Rand Paul, and he holds back pretty much everybody on the GOP side who's not very high up, simply because of his name recognition, his money, and how much attention he commands, and how much of the news oxygen he takes every single day. Well, he's definitely been getting a lot of media attention and all around one issue. You don't hear them talking anything about, well, what are his views on uh, the tax code, uh, spending, the spending. The, the, I mean, they just, they just totally are ignoring that at the present time. Well, and he's uh, on Twitter today. Trump is just ripping. Uh, he ripped Jeb and George W. Bush today and a number of Charles Krauthammer and a number of other people. So, <laughs> I mean, he's letting it all hang out today. When they bash him, he bashes back. They're not used to that, Jamie. Well, no, I would say this. I'm not sure he's used to that. Yeah. I really think so, because Rick Perry took him on yesterday. And I think that, um, you know, it's one thing to be able to say stuff as a businessman. It's another thing to have a lot of people come back at you. It's going to be an interesting next month. It's easy to talk, but uh, somebody like Rick Perry, when uh, told that he's a failure on the border in, you know, in terms of immigration... If there's one person in this race who has a record above everybody else's on immigration, I would think it's Rick Perry. It's certainly, you know, I mean, he he certainly did an awful lot down there in Texas while he was governor. Well, he did, and he was trying to do some things, and he wasn't getting any help from the Obama administration or the feds on this thing. And he, I don't know all what he did, but he did try to do some things and took took some matters into his own hands. But you're right; he's had some upfront and up personal experience in dealing with the matter. Now, one thing we've got erupting here that we really need to note is that last night Republicans suddenly uh, introduced an amendment to a funding bill on the National Park Service to undo some votes that had been taken earlier in the week uh, in the House on the uh, the Confederate flag. Basically, the House had voted with no controversy, with very little debate. No one got up to oppose any of these measures to say, uh, to put in law that you should not be selling the, the Confederate flag in the gift shops and bookstores of the National Park Service, that it should not be displayed all the time in certain federal cemeteries that are run by the Park Service. The Republicans last night, I just happened to be watching the floor of the House late last night. They were wrapping up work on this funding bill for the Park Service, and suddenly the guy in charge of the Republican debate, a guy named Ken Calvert uh, from out in California, he suddenly interrupted his own statement and sent an amendment up 
uh, to change things on the Confederate flag back to the way they were, basically, so that you could sell them, you could display them. And we're, so we're going to have a vote on that this afternoon. Democrats are up in arms, and I have to wonder if some Republicans really want to be put on the record on this, uh, because it seems to me that everybody's going to have to take a stand on the Confederate flag on the same afternoon that the governor of South Carolina will be signing this bill to take down the, uh, the flag from the state house in South Carolina as well. And also today happens to be the anniversary of the ratification of the 14th Amendment. So an, off, uh, an unexpected debate and vote erupting here in the Congress on the Confederate flag. Herman. But you're saying they want to undo the limits that they had imposed. Yeah, uh, so that the Republicans would like to be, uh, are, are pushing a plan that would allow the flag to be sold, that would allow memorabilia to be sold, that would allow the, the displays to go on and, and basically not have any changes dealing with the flag for the National Park Service. My, my, my. Well, thanks a lot, Jamie. See you, Herman. You're listening to the Herman Cain Show. When you're listening to Herman Cain, Herman Cain, you won't miss any breaking news. And you'll never miss out on a single solution for a better America. Herman Cain is on Coast to Coast. A lot of things just don't make sense. <laughs> they don't make no sense, Jane to be. They don't make no sense.